Good morning. I'm Wimala. Today is December the 6th, and uh, I've missed a day or so. Just uh, some days I have to make a decision to either uh, <laughs> be prepared for radiation or uh, skip something in my morning routine. So if I have to cancel at the last minute, I apologize in advance. Hopefully not very often. I'm over the halfway mark, so by, by the, uh, December 23rd, I'll be all finished. So we're still reading from Pema Chodron's wonderful book, How We Live is How We Die. And I'm skipping over chapter 23. It's rather long, and it's, um, I think I'll go to one that is maybe a more general topic. Helping others with death and dying. And then when I finish this, we'll have a short, we'll have a short meditation together. When my mother passed away, I wasn't able to get there. Whoops, having connection problems today. If it gets really choppy and my uh, the picture or my voice cuts in and out, you can always wait to watch or listen uh, after it's been completely uploaded and in another format, okay, or a little bit later on. When my mother passed away, I wasn't able to get there until after she had died, but Trungpa Rinpoche told me it wasn't too late to help her. He suggested I sit by her body and tell her what a good mother she had been and how much I loved her. He recommended sharing fond memories of our being together and saying anything I could to make her feel happy and relaxed. Trungpa Rinpoche's other key piece of advice was to keep reminding my mother that she had died so she could let go of her life and not feel like she needed to hang around. I was able to follow his advice. I felt touched to be alone with her in the funeral home in this way, and I had the sense that I was easing her mind and helping her make the transition. What I did with my mother was based on the Tibetan view that the consciousness stays close to the body for a certain period after death. Although the physical body is dead, the consciousness is still very aware of what's happening. This view is also shared by many hospice workers I've spoken to. After someone has died, hospice workers do their best to maintain a peaceful atmosphere. They're careful about what they say and about how they treat the body and the person's belongings. When people ask me how they can help others through the process of dying and the bardos, and the bardos are just all the transitions, I often start by telling them this story. Whatever your beliefs are, the overall idea is to be sensitive that the person is going through a major transition. From the moment they find out they're dying, they will go through many intense experiences. And the best thing we can do is to be open and sensitive and present with whatever arises. 
whether they're in a state of advanced dementia or in a coma or have just passed away, we should behave as if we're aware of their presence and try to be with them in a strong, loving, steady way. Mother Teresa founded her hospice in Calcutta, India, based on the simple idea of making sure people felt loved when they died. She picked up people off the street who would have died without a single person caring about them, and she brought them into her hospice so they could live their last days in a peaceful, loving environment. If we can keep this simple motivation in mind for the dying and recently deceased people we're connected to, then I think we can do a lot to encourage them and make their transition a smooth one. Again, we can remember the line from Daigar uh, Kantrul Rinpoche's prayer, May I, with ease and great happiness, let go of all attachments to this life as a son or daughter returning home. This ease and great happiness is what we wish for anyone who is dying or has died. It is also our wish for ourselves. I'll read that sentence. May I, with ease and great happiness, let go of all attachments to this life as a son or daughter returning home. Within this general advice to be caring and encouraging, many additional things are recommended to help people in the dying process, some of which I will pass on now. From here, I will speak more or less from the Tibetan point of view, but much of this advice can be adapted to align with your own belief system and the person you are caring for. The first recommendation is to let the dying person know what is happening, stage by stage. If we ourselves are familiar with the signs of outer dissolution, we can let them know, for instance, when the earth element is dissolving. We can tell them that feeling uncomfortably heavy is natural and nothing to fear. This will help them understand that what they're going through is part of the universal dying process. After the person has physically died, we probably won't be able to tell what stage they're in, but if they're Buddhist or spiritually inclined, we can read to them from the Tibetan Book of the Dead which is written in the form of a conversation. One traditional way of doing this is to whisper it in the person's ear. You can keep reading the book to them over the 49 days of the bardo of becoming. Since a being in this state has some level of clairvoyance, we don't need to be in their physical presence in order to communicate with them. However, if the person is of a different faith, or in life would have had no connection to something as foreign as the Tibetan Book of the Dead, then it's best to just talk to them like I did with my mother and help them to feel appreciated in any way. In any case, it's important to remind them often that they have died and can now move on. A few years ago, I was doing a solitary retreat 
where my main focus was on the Bardo teachings. During that time, a dear friend of mine passed away. Because I was in retreat and had plenty of time, I was able to spend the whole 49 days talking to her and reading her the Tibetan Book of the Dead and doing whatever I could to encourage her. I wasn't sure what she was going through, but I felt that if I told her these inspiring things about the Bardos, she would get it. For the last few years of her life, she'd had Alzheimer's and was confused. But after the elements of this life dissolve, those particular clouds part, and the consciousness becomes very receptive to any words of wisdom. This process with my friend informed my whole idea of death. The teachings became much more real for me and inspired me to welcome the challenge of my own transition from this life. Trungpa Rinpoche taught us that the first three days after someone passes away are especially critical. Since no two people die in exactly the same way, it's hard to be sure just when the final disillusion is taking place. This happens when the element of consciousness dissolves into space. At this moment, we have a chance to attain enlightenment by letting our child luminosity merge with the mother luminosity. In other words, it is a very critical moment. So when any of Rinpoche's students died, we would try to leave their body in place for three days to make sure they had enough time to have both the plan A and plan B opportunities at the dissolution and during the bardo of Dharmata. We would sit in meditation with them and also do Tong Lin. If it wasn't possible to leave their body in place for so long, we would do our best to adapt to whatever situation arose, emphasizing the need to keep an open and encouraging mind as a favorable atmosphere for the deceased. At some time, while the deceased was thought to be in the bardo of becoming, we would do what's known as a Sukhawata ceremony. This is named after Amitabha's Pure Land, which is a place where people can aspire to be reborn. In this ceremony, we would burn their photograph as well as a piece of paper with their name on it. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the idea is that they would see this happening and it would help them understand they had died and give them gentle encouragement to move on. We would reassure them that they could let go and that everything and everybody would be just fine. During this doing this ceremony increases the likelihood that they will wake up in the dreamlike bardo of becoming and be able to choose a favorable birth, whether in a pure realm or as a human being who will have access to a spiritual path. Of course, even for someone who's, who has these beliefs and would like such practices and ceremonies performed on their behalf, there's always a chance that things won't work out as planned. You might die suddenly while you're traveling, or you might be hooked up to a lot of loud machines, or your family members might get into an argument beside your body and ruin the tranquil atmosphere. There are a thousand things that could go wrong. 
So if you want to have a peaceful death, the best way to ensure that happens is to cultivate a peaceful mind while you're still alive, to practice not getting so upset when one, when unwelcome things enter your life. That's the best advice, right? Cultivate a peaceful mind so you're already dealing with disturbances and unwelcome things. Another thing to consider when someone dies is how to relate to their possessions. If we think about how attached we are to some of the things that belong to us, we'll understand how much it could disturb a dead person if we treat their belongings carelessly. It may be unrealistic to keep every little thing they cherished and maintain it as pristine, in pristine, pristine condition, but whatever we should do, we should keep in mind that their attachments, that in mind their attachments, and do our best to treat their possessions with respect and at least not quarrel over them. If we can do this for 49 days, that's the best. I started working on my own attachments to possessions to lessen the chance that they'll disturb me in the bardo. I have a list of what things should go to what person, but I'm also trying to give them away before I die. I think when I think of how ruffled I've become when I've lost, lost trivial things like water bottles, I realize that the more I can loosen my grip ahead of time, the better chance I'll have of making it successfully through the bardos. One of my favorite stories is of a monk who was so dedicated to letting go of his attachments before he died that he'd given away almost all of his possessions. At the moment before death, he noticed his teacup sitting on his bedside table and motioned to his, to his friend to hand it to him. Throwing the teacup out the window was his last, last act on earth. In whatever way someone dies, there are ways to benefit them. Even after much time has passed, we can do virtuous acts and dedicate them to their well-being, wherever they are and whatever form they may have taken. Given money to people who are destitute, helping animals, visiting a lonely elderly neighbor, just smiling at someone, anything you do on others' behalf, you can also wish for it to help the person who is dying or has, who has passed away. When my father died, my first Buddhist teacher, Lama Chime Rinpoche, instructed me to offer my father his favorite food and drink for 49 days. Following this advice, I put the offerings by my shrine every morning, and every evening I threw them out in a clean place where they wouldn't be trampled on. I learned later this is based on the belief that in the bardo of becoming, the dead may experience hunger and thirst, but can only get satisfied satisfaction from food and drink that are specifically offered to them. I don't know if this is true, but I do know that every morning when I put out the food and drink, I felt a special closeness to my father that I will always cherish. Since then, I've done this practice for many people. When my dear friend died, I offered her a daily feast of espresso and chocolate. For me, it will be hot water 
and apple pie. <laughs> you can also do Tonglen. For instance, if the dying or deceased person is a loved one, first take a moment to think of them with great love. Then think about any discomfort, fear, or confusion they might be having, anything that would make them unhappy, and breathe it in with the wish that they could be free of it all. When you breathe out, send them all your love and caring and everything that could make them happy or bring them relief. I still do these things for my parents, even though they're long gone. I don't know for sure that it helps them, but it certainly helps me. And because we've been so closely connected, I feel that it has a positive effect on their minds as well, wherever they may be. Finally, it's crucial to let yourself fully grieve the loss of anyone close to you. There are no Buddhist teachings that say you shouldn't miss people and that you should just move on as if nothing big has happened. Even though they say that consciousness continues after death and that people with positive propensities will have favorable rebirths, grief is a natural and beautiful human emotion. It's uncomfortable when grief, when grief swells up and overcomes you. But as time passes, the sadness becomes less and less intense. But every once in a while, out of nowhere, you'll think of the person you lost and you'll cry, which is a good thing. It's a sign of love. Letting yourself grieve allows you to gradually let go. It allows the flow of impermanence to continue. Of course, we know impermanence never stops, but we have a magical ability to freeze things in our mind and get stuck in the past. Grieving fully allows us to move on with our life when we feel ready to move on. Trungpa Rinpoche often spoke about the genuine heart of sadness, which is a tender, open place where you feel connected to people and receptive to the world. This is a positive state of mind that can accompany grief. When I've been in a state of grief, I've experienced this feeling of connection and appreciation with others, even when I don't know them and will never see them again. I remember once when I was grieving going to the post office and feeling overwhelming love for all the other people in line. Unlike many other painful emotions, such as anger and jealousy, sadness and grief tend to connect us more rather than separate us. Perhaps it's because sadness makes us more tuned in to the universal impermanence of all aspects of our life, lives, Days turning into nights, fresh blooming flowers fading, children growing up, friends and relatives aging, ourselves growing old. At the same time, we can keep in mind the teaching on the two truths. On the relative level, everything changes and everyone dies. All people and all things are as transitory as clouds, and this can break our hearts. But in the, on the absolute level, nothing dies. Life after life, our bodies come and go, but our true nature always remains the same. It is like space itself. 
vast and indestructible and full of potential for life to manifest. So that was a beautiful chapter, I think, for anybody of any faith. There were lots of good things to remember from this chapter. So thanks for uh, being with me to listen to it. So why don't we sit? We just have a few minutes. Yeah, we just have about five or six minutes. before I have to get up and leave. So let's do, let's be together while we do our practice. (sighs) Sit, maybe take a few deep breaths in and out. Just let everything quiet down and come together. Let your body and your mind be all together. And don't try to repress your thoughts, but just allow them to stay in the background. Don't get engaged with them. We don't feed our thoughts with attention when we practice. And then we're learning to not have to feed every thought as we're walking around and uh, spending our day, we can learn to decide what we're going to allow in or leave out, what we're going to let go, and what we're going to focus on. And we can do that with all of the senses. When we're trying to just be very mindful We've already learned in our practice how to just see those sensations coming into us uh, as everything everything that's in our world, everything that's in us and outside of us. And we can choose to be disturbed or excited or uh, we can choose our reaction to those. But there are, that's, those are our teachers. They teach us about everything we experience in the world. But we're learning to be balanced. To see everything coming and going. So even if your eyes are open, try to keep it, keep your eyes focused on a spot, maybe downward in front of you, so we're not kind of wildly distracted by the things that we can see. There may be something in what I read that you just want to uh, just ponder, just hold a little bit or do a little, little investigation of it.
Be with each breath. Now, if you can, just continue to sit. But in these last, uh, this last moment with you, we can share merit. May everything I do and say and think today be done not only for my own benefit, May I also remember it's for the benefit of all sentient beings everywhere. As I create a refuge for myself, I'm creating refuge for others. Try to sit as long as you can, and then have a beautiful day. It's very sunny here, so that's a nice, that's very nice. Take care, and I'll see you uh, Thursday. <laughs>